welcome to season two of the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kelby Bachman, and we are at the midweek point of our Assistant Coaches Week presented by the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. I hope you've been enjoying so far, but stay tuned because the rest of the week is going to be amazing. Have some more awesome assistant coaches coming up the rest of the week. So again, please stay tuned. The song you just heard is TNT by ACDC, and it is also the walkout song for the next guest on the show, Nate Engel. Nate will be entering his third season as associate head coach at Oregon State, and he also works with the Beaver Dam RTC. Prior to this, Nate spent two seasons with Stanford and four seasons with Navy. Nate also served as the personal coach to Adeline Gray at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, where she took home a silver medal. He's been successful everywhere he's been, and you will see why after listening to him. Nate himself was an All-American at Missouri Valley College and a two-time member of the U.S. national team. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Coach Nate Engel. He wrote that article. I, I thought it was actually about um, sort of like the top assistant coaches that don't, like I said, don't really get the recognition. Again, yeah, that's looking exactly. for it, but that you guys do a lot of good for the sport. And so it was kind of his way of showing some love to some of those coaches. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Because I think, you know, like he's mentioned it like Tony Ramos, but like people know who Tony Ramos is, right? He's a national champ. Like there's, and our sport's changing so much that, um, you know, just because you're a great wrestler doesn't make you a, a great coach or vice versa. Maybe you weren't a great wrestler. Maybe you're not a great coach, but, um, but yeah, it's, so it's changing. Yeah. You know, the one other person that comes to mind, obviously being from Iowa is Lee Roper. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Right. I, I didn't even really know he was an assistant coach until I actually started. I had Becca on my podcast and started talking to her and I was like, Lee Roper, I've never heard of this guy, but holy cow. He's unbelievable technician, just has a big heart. He's a great coach, great recruiter, you know, like he's a quiet guy, but um, when you get to know him, you know, he really opens up. He's awesome. Yeah. Is that kind of your style too? Are you sort of, you know, kind of a quiet guy or. Yeah. I mean, they always call me like, uh, like Mr. Nice guy around here. Um, <laughs> you know, like when I was at Sanford, they'd always call me positive Polly, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say, you know, I feel like I don't really yell at my guys. The only times I like, like raise my voice is like if the locker room's dirty or they're late, that type of stuff, but, or they're not doing well in school. But besides that, like, I feel like when I was an athlete, if a coach would yell at me, they're going to get less out of me. So same way my coaching style is like, sure. Are there times that I want to get mad and like, you know, get angry for sure. But what are we teaching our athletes? You know, like they're already mad at themselves. It's not going to be any better if I come at them like being crazy. Yeah. And does that is, is, so I I've learned, or I found that maybe that um, opposites of coaching kind of help too is Pendleton. Does he kind of ride a little harder and then you're there kind of like a, good cop, bad cop scenario, if you want to yeah. call it. I mean, really, Chris is like, he might get mad two or three times out of the year. Um, but he's pretty good at like, yeah, you know, I think as a head coach, athletes are just more scared of you because you're the head coach as opposed <laughs> to the assistant coaches. Um, but he, I mean, he's, he's awesome. Like he does a great job with the guys as well, but yeah, they're just from the get go. They're already scared because they're like, well, this guy's the head coach and you know, so he does try to get me out of my shell and try to get me like 
you know, to say no more often and, and do things out of my comfort zone. So is it, is it hard for you to say no? Yeah, it's, it's very hard because I'm always like, well, like we could do this and maybe it'll be better instead of just like right away saying no and dragging, instead of dragging something on, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, cause I always try to find the good. I mean, our whole staff is like that. Like we're always trying to find the, the good out of that, that student athlete or the RTC athlete and trying to help them because we understand that we're dealing with 18 to 23 year olds and they're going to make mistakes. But yeah, I mean, there's a few times he's had to challenge or put some challenges in front of me to, cause right as an assistant coach, you want to keep evolving. So one day, if you do become a head coach, you're ready for those challenges and you're not just thrown into something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking, you served as a head coach. For, yeah. For, for one duel. <laughs> and you're yes, one and no, that's, What's that? I said you're one and oh, you'd be yeah, a yeah, yeah. So, What's up? Yeah, so he his wife was having their first baby and we were at Cal Poly. So he stayed back. And it was funny because our SID at the time had put something out like congratulations to uh, interim head coach Nate Angle on his first, you know, division one win. And so Chris's phone started blowing up and everybody started blowing my phone up like, oh, my gosh, what happened to Pendleton? And I'm like, nothing like his wife was giving birth and, you know, <laughs> he's trying to do the right thing. But there was a question because we have this for our, our foundation, all these alumni and, you know, they're much older and they had like I, I can't remember if it's like three or four former Oregon state coaches that were undefeated. And so one of the questions when we first got here after that duel win was like, who are the three undefeated coaches at Oregon state? And so we named off the two and I'm like, well, that's it, you know? And, and I was the third one. So it was funny that, <laughs> that they had that down. How, how cool or how special is that for you, you know, being the head coach, you know, like, did you guys talk about it? Cause I'm sure maybe he was expecting his wife to give, to give birth around that time. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it, but at the same point, I feel like we all are always on the same page. Um, so it's like, if somebody's gone or something happens, right. Somebody else can just pick up where that coach was at. And I think for me, it was like, don't go screw this up, you know, cause Cal Poly is a scrappy team. And, right. and I remember like, it was a pretty tight duel. Um, you know, it was our first year coaching and, um, it was a pandemic year. And I think going into heavyweight, we were enough ahead that if we got pinned and we had our backup heavyweight in and he ended up getting pinned. But I just remember like, please just, we can't lose this duel. Like we can't, I've never lost to Cal Poly at that time. And, and uh, yeah, so it was fun. Like we took the guys after for, um, for clam chowder on the beach with some Red Bulls <laughs> and they got to take their shirts off and enjoy the sunshine and, <laughs> and we loaded up on a plane and came back. But yeah, it was fun. You know, you just said that you're, you were on the same page, you know, that's easier said than done. Uh, how, how are you guys on the same page or how do you get on the same page if you're not? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, like stylistically, when I came in with Chris, I mean, obviously like credential wise, he was a a much better wrestler. He had been coaching a longer time, but you know, we had been on numerous overseas trips together, whether like for junior worlds, when he was coaching Colton Schultz and, and different people. And we had been to camps together. And, you know, when I was in high school, Chris was a little bit older and Chris was the man. So I knew him, but, um, you know, when we got in here, we kind of like, we had it, we had this fresh palette to start everything. And we had a really good group of like 20, 25 guys that were doing the right thing. We just had a number one, get better grades, we had to get, we had really tough wrestlers. We just had to train them differently and then, you know, obviously recruit, but 
you know, it was, it was hard because it was a pandemic, but we were forced to only hang out with our staff really and the guys. And so we were able to implement our plan from day one. And then it, you know, every year it's, it's gotten better. And obviously there's challenges, but then when Corey came on staff this year, you know, he had wrestled under Pendleton at ASU and then wrestled his last year here. So he knew everything that, that Pendleton was about. Um, and then Josh Roden, I had been wanting to coach with for like, I don't know, nine years of my coaching career. And, you know, he's a hustler like me when it comes to recruiting. I mean, they won five national titles there for, you know, his last four years, they, they won four consecutive national titles. Um, so that was really easy because he's a hustler. You know, he's been a head coach for 16 years. So when he came here, it was like having another head coach, you know, and, and, and coming from a program that was probably underfunded, he wore a lot of different hats. You come to a division one program that you have academic support and all these different people to help you. And you can concentrate on recruiting and developing athletes even more so. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we have weekly meetings. You know, we have our, our group chat that if somebody's gone on vacation or recruiting, you know, we always know what's going on. So I think that's the biggest thing is just, you know, keep evolving, but also being on the same page and believing in the right things. Yeah. Sometimes when you evolve, you you sort of find yourselves on different pages. So that's it's still got to be sort of difficult to evolve and stay on the same page over the years. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, I think too, you know, you have to like as as a staff, we have to be able to challenge each other, you know, and, and Chris is really good at, at challenging us and and Roden's good at challenging us. And even Corey being young in the coaching game, I feel like he's been a coach for 20 years. He's an amazing technician. He's great with the guys. He's a great recruiter. So we're always like trying to push the envelope as a staff too and challenge each other. Right. And at the end of the day, we go to Chris and it's like, you know, it's his program and he's either going to tell us yes or no, or how do we change it to make it better? So I think that, you know, that that's a good aspect too, is we, you know, we have to be okay with challenging each other and, and not always worrying about each other's feelings as much, but, you know, making the best program we can have. Yeah. One of the challenges, you know, and I, I got the numbers here. Um, from the outside anyway, you know, you guys might not see it as much of a challenge, but uh, you guys travel a lot because right. of where you're located and where most of the wrestling has to be. So um, last year, before the first of the year, you, you traveled 9,906 miles. All right. Oh. Yeah. And when it was all said and done from um, the first, or first duel until nationals, you traveled to a total of 17,725 miles. Wow. Um, and I just threw out another school, Penn State. All right. right. Penn State total traveled 5,504 miles. You Dang. know, so I'm just looking at that. And there were there were three times. Well, no, five times you guys traveled over 2000 miles to get. To yeah. I guess what I'm saying is, how do you guys handle that? That's a lot. Yeah. Different time zones. I mean, yeah. I mean, the big thing is, is one, you know, our, our academic coach, uh, Dar Tucknot, um, she's amazing and she works really, really well with our guys. Again, like I said, in the beginning, academics is the most important thing to us. Cause that's the only thing we can promise, uh, recruits and their parents and, and student athletes is like, you're going to graduate. Right. Um, so we work really, really hard with, with our, with them scheduling their classes. You know, they, I would say the majority of them take the majority of their classes online since we're traveling Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or, you know, depending on when we're going, um, you know, last year we went out to the duels in, in new Orleans and luckily that was during our break. So we spent a week there training. Um, so we didn't miss any classes. So 
we try to do that. But like you said too, you know, there's, we're the only division one program in the Pacific Northwest. And sure we go to, or we go down to Stanford, we go to Cal Poly, we go to Bakersfield, um, you know, Arizona state, stuff like that. But we also want to make a tough schedule for our guys, because I think our first year at the NCAA tournament, you know, obviously you can only have five duels, but when you're going to wrestle Penn state at the NCAA tournament, your first time, you're kind of like shell shocked, right. Or Iowa or something like that. So if we can get those guys on the schedule, now they've already wrestled them. They know what to expect. It's not a big deal. It's like, I mean, Penn state is Penn state, right? Like they're a great, they're an amazing program and that's where we want to get. But if we can show to our guys that, Hey, we're going to give you a good schedule where, you know, there's some peaks and valleys throughout it and, and we can, um, you know, get the best teams that we can wrestle against, but also have some other duels or tournaments where, you know, we can work on things and get better because at the end, right. You're always judged on pac 12s and the NCAA tournament, right. Unless, unless they have a national dual championship, what's, you know, it's not, it's not a huge deal. So we're just trying to set our guys up for success. And if you look at year two, you know, we wrestled Penn state, we wrestled, I mean, a lot of the top teams. And then we went to the NCAA tournament and you have a guy like Hunter Willits second round at the NCAA tournament. He's wrestling uh, a guy that was coaching at South Dakota state came back to Penn state and Bergie beats him, then turns around and has to wrestle David Carr. Who's like on a 57 match win streak beats him in the ride out. And then, you know, ends up all American. And we had four, four all Americans. We had six in the blood round in year two. And so I think that shows our guys that, Hey, we're doing the right things. You may not have a perfect record going into the NCAA tournament. You look at a guy like Trey Munoz, you know, unfortunately yeah. he got hurt in the semifinals, but he had two losses all year. One loss to the Nebraska kid. I think, you know, he really should have won that match, but, but it was good for him, right? He got knocked down. He got back to, you know, what he does good at. And so we're just setting our guys up to, to show, but on the flip side, you know, this year, last year, we had Oklahoma state come in. We had 7,000 fans this year. We'll have, um, We'll have uh, Penn State uh, January 5th. Um, next year, we'll, we'll have Iowa and Oklahoma State in. And so we want our fans, or even if you're not a fan of Oregon State, but you're a fan of college wrestling, come here. Let's sell 10,000 tickets. Show, show the administration that wrestling matters. And so that's the other thing we want to do is, is bring in great teams, too, so that we can sell this place out, get it rocking and rolling, and make it a fun atmosphere for our student-athletes. Yeah, and that was going to be a follow-up question is how difficult is it to get teams to come out and wrestle Oregon State because you are the only team in the Pacific Northwest. I'm I have to sort of imagine if I'm being naive on this to get them to come out to wrestle just once. You know, that's yeah. a lot of trouble to just wrestle one time. Right. Yeah, no, it 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 is difficult, right? But I think as our program's growing, um people want to come out here. You know, the big thing I talked with Kale and Casey and their staff it actually happened. We we're training in Tokyo for the Olympics and we were playing, um, we were playing knockout basketball and they're super competitive people literally on everything. Well, I kept winning. I can't play real basketball, but I can play some knockout. And so <laughs> Kale finally said, cause I said, Hey, you guys should come out and duel us or we, we should duel you. And you know, it's important to the West coast for you guys to come. And he said, yeah, I agree. So, all right, you win this next game. We'll do a, a neutral site, which wasn't very neutral, uh, their place. And then our place. And so, um, I won and and the rest was history and and Kale called Chris and Chris was like, well, what'd you do? And I explained to him, I'm like, it'd be good. And so we've gotten a really good relationship with a lot of teams. So, you know, they want to come out, they want to wrestle us as we're growing and getting better. And um, I would say the more difficult part as we've gotten better is some teams, you know, they're like, 
they either make it difficult because there's only one team and they fly in and fly out, but we try to work with maybe some of the West coast teams. Hey, so-and-so is coming out. Why don't you fly down to Stanford or fly to Bakersfield or, or Cal Poly um, and try to work it that way. The tri duels are hard because to have a bunch of fans for six hours for three duels is a lot. You know, we want them to come in for two and a half, three hours at most two hours and watch a great duel and leave happy and excited about Oregon state wrestling. So you know, it is getting better. More teams are wanting to come out. It's a great place to come visit. And, and, uh, you know, as we're getting better, more and more teams want to come. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of build off of you guys getting better, when did you realize that maybe you were turning the corner a little bit as a program? Cause it seems like, seems like you already have, you know, and the right. resurgence is the resurgence is on. Yeah. And so like, when did you as a coach start to realize like, Hey, all right, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, before I moved here, I sat down with uh, Jason Borelli at his house and I told him I was taking the job. And then I went over to Ray Blake's and I was pretty emotional because I cared about that program a lot. And I cared about the kids and the coaches, but Ray Blake actually said it to me. We we're sitting down on a bench in front of his house. And he said, Hey, like you have a really, really good team. You know, I know that they weren't as good that, that year prior, but they had one of the Willits was redshirting, And, you know, there were some, some good guys coming through and, and so I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel. And then, you know, first year pandemic year, we couldn't even really wrestle till October yeah. um, just because of the state regulations. And then, you know, we, we wrestled some tough teams and we won a few duels and we, I think qualified eight to the NCAA tournament. I'm like, okay, we didn't do very well. Um, but all those guys were coming back. And, and I think when we got back from the NCAA tournament, Chris kind of sat me down and we we're going over like, Hey, what can we do better? And, and I said, you know, I think we're really on to something like he's a he's a heck of a head coach. Like he really understands how to train all that stuff. And and then second year, first year, we finished second in the Pac-12 qualified eight. Second year, we lose by half a point because we spiked three head gears. Right. That that half a point is going to haunt us for the rest of our lives. Um, so then follow up our third year, you know, Corey transfers, uh, get a few transfers, um, you know, or excuse me, second year, Corey had transferred, lose by half a point, but we take seven, I believe, seven or eight NCAs, get four All-Americans, six in the blood round. So we're like, okay, you know, it, Chris always says that that second year, it took us 45 seconds to get into the NCAA tournament. It took us 45 minutes to get out, right? Because when we were going in, nobody cared. They're like, oh, it's just Oregon State. Like, you know, they're getting better, but, you know, they kind of didn't really care. So we have that success. And then the third year, we won a Pac-12 title, but we don't have the success at the NCAA tournament. But I think we've, you know, recruits are realizing how great they can be here. The guys on the team, the freshmen that came in after our first year, they were like, hey, this is the only thing we know. And we have to follow the rules and do everything by the older guys. And so it's just been a nice uh, transition where, you know, it. I think, you know, the the funny thing, too, is the first year recruits would say, or their parents like, well, Chris has never been a head coach. It's like, well, he's been an assistant coach at Wyoming, Oklahoma state and Arizona state, and always had at least one all American and national champs. So then after our first year, second year, again, we have the all Americans and they're like, man, he's, he's onto something. I'm like, well, the guy's a heck of a coach. Why do you think he became a head coach? You don't just become a head coach after your first year of college. And so that I think now more people are realizing and, and our administration, right? None of this is, is, is going to happen without our administration, our $6 million endowment. Like 
people at Oregon in Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, they want Oregon State wrestling to do well because we're the only Division One program. But our administration believes in it too. You know, our sports uh, supervisor Kim Massey. I mean, he does does an amazing job. I told him he was our lucky charm two year or, at, or after our second year at NCAs because he had never he was a baseball guy, never really been around wrestling. Came to the NCAA tournament and was like, "This is unbelievable." Um, so, you know, with, with our success, there's a lot of people that go hand in hand, not just the coaching staff or the wrestlers. Yeah. It's, I was talking to somebody earlier this morning and how important it is for a program to grow, to have an administration right. that backs it. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost everything, you know? Right. And so it's, it's happy. It's, it makes me happy to hear that that's the case at Oregon state, you know, that there's administration. Cause you're right. You know, when you said he's a baseball guy, I'm like, Oh yeah, duh. Oregon state's a baseball school. Yeah. You know, um, just watch Adley Rutschman hit some home runs last night and he's from Oregon state. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're really close with our baseball staff, Mitch, our head baseball coach wrestled at Lake Stevens high school in, in uh, okay. Washington. Yeah. And uh, so he's like a big wrestling guy. You know, he, the team always comes to the duels. We we go to some of their games and we hang out. Chris was actually uh, like, a, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a honorary baseball coach for a, a home game. We had Mitch as an honorary coach for the Oklahoma State duel. And, and so, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. You uh, throwing out the first pitch yet there or no? Yeah. So right after we had the four All-Americans, Chris and I threw out the first pitch. And then this year after winning Pac-12s, they had like the five Pac-12 champions uh, throw out the first pitch. And I threw a strike. Chris will tell you that mine wasn't the fastest, but I would say that mine was a strike and his was a ball. So, <laughs> Which is all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, gosh, yeah. I had that note down that you lost by half a point. You know, was that a couple years ago? Yeah, that was, uh, that was last year. That was last year. So yeah, did that, I mean, going into this year when you won it, like, was that a pretty big motivating factor to, you know, basically should have won it last year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously it was motivating, you know, cause the guys didn't want to leave with that taste in their mouth and, you know, nothing against ASU or any team that beats us, but it's like, you don't, we don't like to lose. And, and right. I know I have a lot of sleepless nights and, so this year, you know, we're going into the semis and our 97 pounder has just a crazy match, loses to a guy that he had beaten. And in my, my like head, I'm thinking like, oh man, this is going to be tough to win it. So we kind of, you know, we leave the session, we kind of regroup. Hey, like, don't put anything, don't think about the team score. Don't think about the Pac-12 title. Like just take care of your job and the rest will take care of itself. And I think we won, let's say we had 10 matches, we won nine of them. And, you know, we had some some big pins in the finals and and our 57 pounder who had lost in the semis wrestled his butt off to come back and take third. And, and so it was a team, you know, team effort. Chris hates to know the team score of anything, right? Like even at the NCAA <laughs> tournament when we're doing well, he's like, don't talk about it. So coach Rodin and I were, were sitting there before we went back for the second session. We're going through like every possible way Ray Blake, who coach at Stanford, that's at Bixby now, he is like a mathematician. You know, he's a Stanford grad. So I said, Ray, send me what you think is going to happen, the team score, right? So I think I think we were ahead, we would have won by like two points if everything went according to seed and, and everything. Um, but I just knew we had to wrestle and and you know, our our coaches do a great job getting the guys ready. And and that's where like Corey is so good because he's very like, you don't see him get too crazy in the corner. Um, you know, he's very, like, he talks to the guys like a good tone and he has a good game plan and he's a heck of a coach in the corner. Um, so yeah, the guys just did their job. Right. And, and 
it meant a lot. We were, I think, only two programs that won Pac-12 titles here at Oregon State House in gymnastics, so it was a big deal. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What, what kind of coach are you in the corner? I guess now I'm thinking. Uh, I would say when I was younger, I was pretty crazy. And <laughs> when I was at Navy, our head coach said, hey, listen, like, because I'd get on referees, you know, all the time. And he's like, listen, these referees remember things. So I try to stay a little bit more like calm because Coach Roden, he's very uh, like, I love his, like, he gets really into it. You know, he's very animated and does a great job. And and Chris, you know, being the head coach, right? Like if there's arguments that have to go on with the referees, like Chris is going to take care of that. And, and, you know, that's his job. And so I try to like be in the middle somewhere where Corey's more like calm. Um, but I do get excited sometimes. And I love that either Chris, Corey or Roden will say, Hey, like calm down. Like if, if BK is wrestling my 25 pounder, I have to stay calm because the more excited I get, the more excited he gets. And so I have to like, coach him like I coach Mallory Velti, like just stay calm in the corner. But, you know, some of those guys feed off the energy, but I think if, if I get a little too crazy, maybe the guys get a little crazy and, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned Mallory Velti. I, I was going to ask how you balance being the, you know, the assistant coach at a D one program and also, you know, training at the Beaver Dam RTC and like training athletes like Mallory Velti and, and Adeline Gray, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's a lot. that can be, it seems like it could be a lot. Yeah, no, it is. Um, so we practice in the morning at nine 30 and, and, you know, Chris, when I first got here, I said, listen, the only thing I want to be able to do is help Adeline because the other athletes that was not even a thought and Adeline was training in Colorado. So I'd go to camp, she'd come out here. And next thing I knew we had a training camp right before pack 12s and Mallory and Alex were here. Alyssa had already moved here. Next thing I know, they're all moving here. And then Skylar moved here. And obviously now she's going to the training center. But it is, it can be difficult at times, right? Like I have to be able to manage when we're going to be away. Hey, here's a practice plan. Have, you know, one of the guys or somebody come in and run practice or send them out to train somewhere. Um, but it, it's a lot of fun because it's a little different, right? Like coaching females and males, two totally different things. I, I think the females, they listen a lot better. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're really close with my wife and kids now, obviously Adeline having twins. So Adeline and my wife talk all the time about, you know, mom being mothers and it, it can be difficult, right. Trying to balance everything. And I think this summer, um, you know, I've done a better job of trying to balance my home life, my work life, the RTC life. Um, and, and so it, it but it's good. It, it's fun to go travel with them, uh, to, to watch them, you know, place at worlds or win world championships or win an Olympic medal. I mean, I never would have dreamt in my wildest dreams that I'd be coaching at the Olympics or at the world championships. Um, but it, it, it's a great working relationship with our guys too. Like they care about the women and vice versa. Like if we're, if we have a duel or something, you know, the ladies are watching and vice versa, if they're competing, the guys are watching. And so it's become like a whole family um, dynamic for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I don't know if it's coincidence or ironic or what. Um, I get those words confused, but um, you have twins and yeah. Adeline's twins. It's just kind of funny how that kind of came full circle. Um, I wanted to ask you about your, there was a video that was circulating um, of these two kids wrestling in singlets at the U.S. Open. Yeah. And they were your kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. So it's, it's been crazy. So what happened was I was getting an award for coach of the year for uh, women's freestyle coach of the year. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm on all these different boards for USA wrestling. I, I feel like I spent a lot of time on zoom calls with them. And so I've got another, you know, I, I was an athlete for them. I started coaching. I coach cadet teams, junior teams, now senior teams. And, 
And so Megan Ball, who's Rich Bender's assistant said, Hey, we have like a 10 minute break. And Christina Hargrave, she runs a lot of the tournaments and she loves my kids and they love her. Like she's always giving them little presents when we come to tournaments and stuff. And, and so really after the NCA season, I told my wife, I said, Hey, I'm done traveling without you guys. I know it's going to be a lot, but like, I'm done being away from the kids. You know, they're always asking like, dad, when you come home, daddy, don't leave. You know, even if I'm just going to work. So there was this 10 minute intermission and Christina said, Hey, why don't you bring the boys down? They love wrestling. I mean, they don't practice or anything, right? We have a little mat in our house. They come to the wrestling room, they'll wrestle with Corey, they'll, you know, whomever. And, and so they had gotten these blue Nike singlets because blue is their favorite color. So she said, let them wrestle. And I'm like, I don't know if this is a good idea. They're either one going to pee on themselves. They're going to cry. It's going to go really bad. Mm-hmm. And they ended up having the best time of their life. And Brody, who's like the quiet one, was the one like raising his arms, you know, when he took down Breck and the crowd was getting into it. And my wife's just videoing it. And then, yeah, I mean, on UWW, I think it's like close to 2 million views on her own video. There's like, I don't know, 60 something thousand. There's, it's been on two news stations, um, you know, all types of social media. And so I always joke that hopefully some NIL deals will come out of it. But that was like my moment as a dad. Right. Uh, that whether they wrestle or not, like I got teary eyed, you know, I'm not, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And, and I was like, man, this was, I mean, I had so many texts from, from buddies that I wrestled Greco with or that are coaching now at the high school level or even college level. And they're like, man, all that hard work that you put in and continue to put in, like your kids got to go down and wrestle before the finals of the U S open. So it was just, it was really cool. And and, you know, then we were out at world team trials in Colorado Springs and my boys are at the Olympic training center. I didn't go to the Olympic training center till I was 23 years old, you know, and I thought that was a huge deal. These kids are like two years old and they're at the Olympic training center, <laughs> hanging out with world and Olympic medalists. So, yeah. It's sort of at that type of a, of a tournament, the U S open, it sort of just puts in perspective, like, you know, this is just a wrestling tournament. This, you know, yeah. we got these two kids out here. Everyone's like kind of now just watching these two kids laugh, have a good time. And you're just like, oh, it just puts it in perspective that you know, it's this is just a wrestling tournament. These kids yeah. are having fun. We should just have some fun. Right. Yeah, I think we get lost as coaches or athletes that like everything's determined on winning. Right. Like right. you lose. You know, uh, and and I think we have to remember our why. I always talk to our athletes about our why, especially the female athletes. I'm like, remember your why. Like, why are you doing this? This sport's way too tough if you if you only want to halfway be in and halfway out. And and you know, why do you do it? Right? Because you you love to you know you may love to train or you may love to coach and impact people's lives. And and so I just always remind people of their why. Like, whatever job you're doing, why am I doing this? You know, like, am I enjoying it? It's hard, but when you do win and you put in the hard work and you win and you get medals or get on the podium at NCAs, like that's when it's all worth it. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we have to value the right things because at some point you take off your competitive shoes and you either coach or you go into the real world and, and impact lives in a different way. So, um, you know, that's why I do it. So that's your why. Yeah. I'm asking what your why was, you know? Yeah. Just impact lives. Like, whether Mallory or Adeline or Alex or Alyssa or our guys become all Americans or world medalists or Olympians or whatever they do. It's like, I just enjoy impacting lives. Like, you know, uh, I, Corey and I talk about this all the time and it's like, you know, why do we do this? Sometimes you're beating your head against the wall. And it's like, I just have to keep reminding myself that I'm doing it because these kids in 20 years from now, when they're married and having families and having good jobs, they call me and they're like, Hey, this one little time, impacted my life and now I'm successful. And, and that's the most 
like the biggest thing I look forward to is 20 years from now, where are my athletes? You know, what are they doing? Not wrestling related, but you know, are they successful? Did we teach them the right things to, to move on and, and, and be productive members of society. If we can get more wrestlers in this society, we're going to have a much better world. Yeah. And uh, one thing you just, you mentioned before um, was at the U S open, you were getting um, an award for freestyle coach of the year. When did you like, how special was that? Like, you know, when did you kind of hear that that was something because you had also won uh, you in 2019, you were the Greco coach of the year. Yeah. You know, so um, sorry, Greco Roman, I should be. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah. So, so I knew, so I had, I had one last year as well for like, after the Olympics, I got coach of the year for women's freestyle. Um, but I mean, it's an honor, right? Like you go up against many other great coaches and then they vote on it. And, and so I think a week before Christina had texted me, Hey, make sure you have room in your suitcase. But so I, I, you know, it's great that my family, that what you knew? There. Yeah, it, you know, that I, I knew. And so I called my dad, I said, Hey, why don't you come out? Like my dad's my biggest supporter has always been, and it was never about the wins, just be successful. And so he came out. So that was really special. Um, you know, our coaching staff was there, but it's, it's great, but it's not like to have another trophy. It, it's great. But to just know that you're doing the right things and people see that that's the most important thing, you know, whether I won or lost again, there's so many other great coaches that are, that are doing it at the highest level that are definitely capable of winning the award too. Um, it just means that we have the right people in our sport. Yeah. You know, I'd like to go in a time machine back up a little bit, um, and talk about your wrestling career. Um, you know, you wrestled NAIA and ended up to where you are now, you know, you wrestled at Missouri Valley college. Um, you know, when you were there, what, what kind of outlook did you have in terms of wrestling? You know, did you even think this was a possibility? No, I mean, honestly, I was getting a business degree. Uh, I was going to go sell life insurance and do estate planning. That's what my dad did for 33 years and go make a ton of money and move back to California. Like that's what I was going to do. And then I didn't redshirt. So I had a semester of school. And so I was just, you know, an assistant coaching and, um, I wanted to compete because my senior year, I did an all American again. And, and that kind of left this void in me. So I said, well, I'm going to never really wrestle Greco except for at Fargo. So let's go to, let's go to Sunkiss. Well, there was like six guys in my bracket. I wrestled Spencer Mango in the semis got annihilated and ended up third. And, and so then Yvonne Ivanoff, who was the head coach up at Northern Michigan said, Hey, you know, what, what are you doing? Like, and Yvonne doesn't know a lot about college wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I've graduated. I'd love to come train. And he said, why, why don't you come up here for a semester? If it works, we'll give you scholarship money. And so then Sunkiss Kids picked me up while I was there. I won a university national title. And then I realized after another year of being there when Yvonne left and Dennis Hall was our coach and he was amazing. I mean, that was a guy I looked up to. He was in my wedding, um, the Army WCAP program. I realized there's no money being an athlete. So I joined the Army, wrestled there for five years and then started coaching. But even then, I didn't think I was going to coach. I thought, hey, maybe I'll make it 20, 20 years in the military and, and do that. And then 2014 came around, the head coach from Air Force, and I was kind of helping out there that season, went to Navy and he said, hey, do you want a full-time job? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm still in the Army. I sat down with our head coach, Sean Lewis, and he said, man, there's not a lot of opportunities, even if you're a division one wrestler or all American or national champ to get into coaching. And this is a great opportunity. My wife was from Pennsylvania. We were getting married the next year. And, and I literally was sitting in a, a military vehicle where you shoot rockets out of it. 
my wife was in Jamaica or my fiance at the time. And, and she said, well, if you want to do it, let's do it. So literally I accepted the job in this military vehicle. Two weeks later, I loaded up my car. We drove out to, to Maryland and I started coaching and sold my house and the rest is history. But yeah, I never really thought it was a reality. I knew I wanted to help. I wanted to coach. My dad helped out with the club where I was from and the high school team, just because he was passionate about it, but he was busy, you know, with his home life and working and, and yeah, I mean, looking back, I don't think I would have ever expected this, but I always tell everybody that, you know, our sports changing that just because you're a great college wrestler doesn't always mean you're going to be a great coach or it does. So I think if you're passionate about it, you care about people and you're willing to put the work in and realize that you're not going to make millions and millions of dollars being a college wrestling coach, you can do it. And and you're starting to see that more and more where guys that weren't national champs are getting into college coaching and becoming head coaches. And I mean, look at OB Blanc, right? He was an All-American at Lock Haven, transferred to Oklahoma State, was a world team member, had a pretty successful international career. And now he's a head coach. Uh, you look at Nate Carr Jr. at at um, at his new school, right? He's a he's a head coach. Maybe didn't have the accolades that everybody thinks you need to have, but he's crushing it. So it gives hope for guys like myself and and other guys that are getting into college coaching that, Hey, I can put the work in. I can be a head coach. I can impact. We can have great programs. You know, there's only one Kale Sanderson. There's, there's one Tom and Terry brands. There's one John Smith. There's one Chris Pendleton. So, you know, if I, if I can leave a legacy, it's to show that as long as you work hard, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Geez. I don't even have to ask you the question of, you know, since, since you came from NAIA, you know, um, and had success, uh, two-time national, you know, U S national team member, you seven time U S open all American, like coming from a non-division one program, you know, I was going to ask what advice you had to people who have the same aspirations as, as you did, but you pretty much already answered that. Yeah. Just going to dream big, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how old you got to get, you got to keep dreaming and keep reaching for them. And, and that's what we tell our guys all the time is like, you know, when you're recruiting and somebody's like, Oh, I want to be a four-time national qualifier. And it's like, uh, like we don't need national qualifiers. We want all Americans and national champs, like, you know, reach for the stars. So then when you do get to the NCAA tournament, it's not like, Oh, I'm here. Like I'm, I'm just here to partake, you know, like, uh, what's the running back from the Seahawks that, you know, he's doing that interview and he's like, I'm here. So I don't get fined. It's like, no, we don't want you just to be here to get, so you don't get fined. It's like, we want you, we want you to put your goals the highest. So if you reach them, great. If you don't, you're, they're still obtainable. Yeah. What's, you know, what's a difference between, or what even is a similarity, you know, being an NAI athlete, but now having success as a D one, a D one coach and a, and a senior level athlete, you know, how did wrestling NAI help you, you know, prepare for that? Yeah, I think, you know, I came from a small school in California and, you know, we didn't have like we were good for our high school, but we weren't good in the state of California. You know, to get a state qualifier was like a big deal for us. And, mm -hmm. and so I think I just I really was passionate about wrestling and I wasn't the best athlete. I wasn't you know, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, but obviously oh, no, my genes weren't good enough. And so my coach grabbed me and said, Hey, you should really stop this baseball thing. And, and, you know, you could go to college and get your education paid for. And so from then on, it was like, okay, well, we're going to put both feet in and, and run with it. And my dad's only thing was like, get a college degree. I don't care how good you do in wrestling, get good grades, you know, get a college degree. And, and then, you know, I went to Missouri Valley and, and they had just won a national title. And, and it was like, you know, there were so many, my, my junior year, they had one nationals, my freshman year, my junior year, we had like, I don't know, 
14 returning All-Americans. You can only take 12. And, and right. three of us that ended up being on that team weren't even All-Americans at the time. And and so three guys got left home or four guys, whatever it was, got left home. And and so it's just like you just got to keep outworking people because eventually if you just keep outworking people, you're going to keep climbing while those guys and ladies that you know had a lot of success at an early age, you know, maybe they've hit their peak because they're like satisfied with what they did. And and to me, that's what keeps me going to this day is like it's not okay just to impact gold. It's not okay to finish 12th in the country at the NCAA tournament. You know, Chris's goals are much bigger for this program. Our university goals are much bigger for this program. And so it's like, you know, you just got to keep setting the bar every single year. We sit down as a staff and I sit down with my wife and, you know, we try to make a plan and try to stick to it. But as you know, things change, but yeah, just, just keep doing the right thing and good things will happen. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Do the right things. Good things will happen. I believe in that too, you know. Um, and if you put it to work in, sometimes it always doesn't happen on your timeline. Right. <laughs> but um, dang it, it'll, it'll happen eventually. Um, so what'd you do for your birthday? You just celebrated a birthday. So I was curious what, yeah. what you just did. Yeah, it's funny because camp always, uh, you know, happens around my birthday. So I told my wife and I knew she was kind of planning a surprise birthday party because my neighbor had kind of ruined it a little bit. Um, you know, and, and so basically like July 3rd, it was the day after camp. We just had a bunch of people over and, uh, I love to snack. A lot of people know that I love French fries and gummy bears and stuff. So she just made like this whole like charcuterie board and we just had friends over and just hung out and the kids all played out in the backyard and we played some bags. So it was just nice and relaxing to be done with camp and, and, uh, yeah, try not to talk too much wrestling. <laughs> yeah, does your wife get a little run down from it at times? Uh, I'd say yes and no, but like my neighbors, like my one neighbor is really into wrestling. He wasn't a wrestling guy, but since we've met him, like he knows who Gable Stevenson is. He watches the NCAA tournament. He watches the U.S. Open. Like he bought his own Flow subscription. So they're always asking questions, but I try to like sometimes just kind of veer away from it because I don't. Like, I don't want them to always think it's about me and, and my career. Like, I want to know about his career and his kids and, and, you know, our kids all play together. And, and so we try to, you know, talk about other things as well. Yeah. What other, that, that's an interesting question. What other hobbies do you have then? Like, aside from wrestling, what, what do you do? Yeah, I don't have much time, but being a dad, I mean, that's my number one hobby, being a good husband. I try, you know, I always say that I have one foot in the doghouse and one foot out at all times, but <laughs> you know, like you'll see like. Chris has, has two little ones as well. And so our kids always play together. I mean, the two, both his baby and my baby obviously don't do anything but lay there, but the, his older son's about four months younger than my boys. So they play together. Um, Roden's got two, two kids that are a little bit older. Um, but yeah, I would say that's my hobby is like going home, taking the kids to the park, um, playing with them with their trucks and going on bike rides and stuff. So that, that's more my hobby is just, yeah, like I, I can't forget about my number one goal and that's being a good dad and a good husband and a good person because if if I'm failing at that, then this job suffers, right? And and Chris is really good about, you know, hey, go, you need to take a vacation. Hey, you need to stay home. We're coming back from a late trip. We get back Sunday at two o'clock in the morning. Don't come in on Monday. Like just come to practice or don't come in on Tuesday. Stay home. And and so that, that right there, I, yeah, is my, I get long winded, but that's my number one hobby is being a good dad and a good husband. And I'm still working at it. So. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, being a, being a successful coach, sometimes it takes away from your, 
you know, your other responsibilities, if you will, like being a good husband and a good dad, you know, and sometimes you need that kind of reality check or, or somebody to rein you in a little bit like, Hey, yeah, go, go spend some time with your family because you don't sometimes don't realize, you know, right. you've been gone for as long as you have. But, right. But yeah. yeah. So I, I did read once that you said um, wrestling has given you so much, you know, and so I'm just curious, what has it given you? I mean, number one, it's given me a way to feed my family, right? It's, uh, you know, that's, this is my livelihood. And, um, but I, I think it's just, you know, I put so much into it and it's given me so much back to be able to impact lives on a daily basis, whether it's the best kid on my team wrestling wise or the worst kid on the team wrestling wise or the best student or the worst student. And, and so I think, you know, I'm just grateful that I found a sport that, you know, the amount of work that you put into it, you can get back as well. And, and, I think that's why I chose the profession, you know, um, it, at times it, it can be tough. And I've told my wife numerous times, if it's too much, like, tell me, I'll go get a nine to five job. But she always says like, you wouldn't be happy. You know, you're happy as a coach, you're happy with impacting lives. And, and so I think, you know, as you know, at being a, a former wrestler, right, it's given us so much and it doesn't matter how you impact a sport, whether you're doing podcasts or you're doing, uh, you know, coaching at the high school level or the club level or, or the kids age group, like, you know, we're always willing to give back because there was other, some other poor soul that was going to Fargo with us for 10 straight days, missing his job or his kids or his wife. And, and so I think that that's what, what it's given to me. I mean, it's given me, you know, a beautiful family. It's given me an opportunity to, yeah, to, to put food on the table. So. Yeah. And who, who was somebody that impacted you, you know, in the sport? You know, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, there's so many people that have helped me. My college coach, Coach Mockles, you know, he's he's coached at Missouri Valley for like 30 years, something like that. You know, and now he's the AD. Um, you know, he was my high school coach. Um, but I would say like Dennis Hall, you know, he, one of the greatest Greco-Roman wrestlers ever to do it. But once I really got to become like not just an athlete for him, but a friend and then almost now a brother you know, he really showed me the way. Now he obviously had way better accolades than I did, but he showed me how to train and how to do the right things. Um, you know, when I was at Stanford, I was with three other amazing coaches and, you know, now with Chris. And so just every place that I've been, there's always been people that I've impacted my lives and I'm grateful for that for the rest of my life. Yeah. When, you know, talking about people who, you know, again, who have these accolades that maybe you necessarily didn't, when did you start to feel like, like you belonged, you know, yeah. like, it could be like, oof, I don't have these accolades. Do I, should I even be here? Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that. Like when I was at Navy, I think my second year, Pat Santoro, who's, I think one of the best coaches in the world. I mean, he's got the biggest heart. He does everything right. Um, you know, I don't want to give them too much credit because then I feel like, but Pat, <laughs> when I met Pat one time, we were recruiting and, I was just like envious of what he's done at Lehigh, what he did at Maryland, what he did as an athlete. And he said to me, he goes, I'm trying to keep up with you. My staff's trying to keep up with you. Um, you know, Pat Papalizio, I had never lost a recruit to NC state when I was at Navy and, and Frank Beasley, who's an amazing head coach at George Mason, but he was him and Pat, you know, restarted the, the NC state program. And, and Frank would always joke around that I had never lost a recruit to him, but they were getting top 10 recruiting classes, you know, and putting guys on the podium and having NCAA champs. And I was like, man, I just want to get to where you're at. So I would follow Frank around at every tournament and see that Frank was just personable and making phone calls and doing the right things. And so, yeah, I would say like 
when Pat, when Pat said that to me and, and, uh, you know, we've, we've become really, really close, uh, over the years and, you know, still talk, you know, on numerous occasions. So I think that's when I made it. Um, you know, now it's like, you know, John Smith, because of Chris, like we're going to dinners with John Smith with the greatest wrestler of all time, you know, and, um, you know, now it's just, that's just how, how life is, you know, you don't, I don't really to put too much stock into it, but I try to learn when they're talking, I listen. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I think that's when I made it was that second year. I'm like, wow, I could, I could do this. You know, I just got to keep hustling and, and doing the right things. Yeah. Have you always been sort of a personable guy or did that take a, maybe a learning curve to maybe, I don't know if you can't had to come out of your shell or, or what have you. Yeah. I think freshman year, you know, moving away from home from this small little town that everybody knew everybody. And I had mm-hmm. to like become friends with people and make real friends and not just grow up with everybody. But I think I, you know, just treating the people the way I wanted to be treated throughout my career as a, as an athlete. And then as a coach, um, you know, it's been easier. Sam Barber told me this my first year I was at Fargo and I'm recruiting and he said, Hey, can I, can I borrow your phone? And I'm like, yeah, does your phone not work? Do you need to call your wife? Or like, he's like, no, I just want to put this under my pillow to, to know that you're not calling any recruits, you know, and, and outwork me. And, and that, and I said, well, what do you mean? Sam? like, he goes, well, cause you, you know, everybody, you know, you literally know everybody, you know, people in some foreign country, you know, people here. And, and so that was, that was funny that, that Sam did that, but, um, you know, yeah, just treat people the way you want to be treated and, and good things will happen. Sorry, that's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a funny story. Yeah. Uh, um, last question I have for you, you know, um, RTCs are, are um, funded a lot by uh, community outpouring, you know, so how can people, if they want to donate or sponsor whatever the Beaver Dam RTC, you know, where can they go? What can they look for? In order yeah. To- so you, you just go on a, you know, just Google Beaver Dam RTC. You click on it. There's the, the donate button. Uh, you can do monthly, you can do yearly, you can do a one-time give. Um, you know, like you said, we're a charity sport, right? And everything that we fundraise goes to our athletes. And so, you know, we're also having a golf outing September 8th. So we're trying to fill that back up and, and really have a great time. We had a great time last year. We had, I think, 80 golfers and everybody had a great time fundraise a, a good chunk of money. And, um, but yeah, we're always trying to fundraise and, you know, like I said, we're a charity sport. So these, these athletes that are aspiring to become Olympians and win world and Olympic medals, you know, it's all done through generous hearts of, of donors and, you know, whether it's 25 bucks, 10 bucks or a hundred bucks or 25,000, right. It, it goes straight to the athletes. It doesn't go like, I don't get it. We don't get a dime to coach, um, you know, Oregon state's our main job. And, and that's, you know, we're, we're lucky to be able to have the RTC and it impacts our college guys as well. So um, yeah, if, if people have a, a minute to jump on there, you know, Google Beaver Dam RTC, there's a quick donate button. You get a tax write-off and, and it goes straight to our athletes. Nice. Nice. All right. So are you going to get a golf? Do you golf? No, I'm terrible at golf and I golf like once or twice a year when we have golf outings, but um, my brother-in-laws are all really, really good at golf. Chris's wife was a former professional golf, uh, you know, golf player. And, and uh, so I need to take her up on some lessons because I am not good. I can putt now putting, I can putt, but driving the ball, I don't know if it's going to go left, right or short. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Hey, I, I appreciate you taking some time to chat with me here this afternoon. Um, I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, you know, Oregon state, like there's just your, your dad, you're you're juggling a lot of balls. So, um, yeah. What's with the cheese that's behind you? 
Yeah, I love Cheez-Its. Uh, my wife bought me some at Target, and so I just keep a handy uh, stash of Cheez-Its. Uh, so I snack a lot. Um, that and French fries are my go-to. Because I'm TNT. I'm dynamite. TNT. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Special thanks to my guest, Nate Engel, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Cover art created and designed by Kristen Gill. Please feel free to rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. You can check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and my brand new Facebook page to hear more of my content. And don't forget to check out my website at letstalkwrestlingpodcast.my.canva.site. And as always, be sure to tune in to hear the next guest of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast as we continue our Assistant Coaches Week. Take care. We'll see you next time.